I remember uh, the first time that I saw the images of the Hubble Space Telescope. Um, my memory is that the university had invited a guest lecturer to come, and he was going to show pictures, images, that were captured by the Hubble Space Telescope. And we hadn't seen, you know, what we're used to now at that point. And I remember it was in the chapel on that great big screen there in the chapel at night. And he started out uh, indicating a small, very dim star on that night sky. And he's, he identified it. And then he said, let me show you now what that star looks like through the, through the, through the Hubble Space Telescope. And one of these kind of pictures came up. And I remember it just took my breath away. And I was thinking, oh, come on, you're teasing. <laughs> and uh, instead of it being a star, it was a galaxy. Billions of stars that we were seeing. Uh, Hubble was put into space in 1990. And NASA had hoped that may, you know, that they would get about 10 years out of this telescope. And maybe if everything went well, they could get maybe 15 years out of it. Well, we are now at year 32 for Hubble. And it's been an amazing piece of technology. It's beginning to have more and more problems. Not sure how much longer it's going to last. But it has, been, it has given us an understanding of how vast our universe is, how complex it is, and how um, beautiful it is. Now, the successor to Hubble is the James Webb Space Telescope. And it was launched actually last Christmas Day in 2021. And some of you maybe have seen pictures from it, images from it, but my understanding, check on the internet again, is that the first public pictures, images from Webb will be available to us in about nine days on July 12th. And I can hardly wait to just turn my computer on and see what we can see with this next, with the successor to, um, to Hubble. Now, I have no idea what Webb will reveal. But one thing I know for sure, this universe that we live in is bigger and more beautiful than I ever imagined before Hubble. Rather than making me feel minuscule and unimportant, this has increased my faith in the greatness of our Creator God. I've titled my sermon today, our dumpster diving God. Our dumpster diving God. And it comes from a devotional that I'm going to read in just a few moments, written by a man named David Clagle. Uh, and, um, but before you can really appreciate the significance and the truth of that description of God, our dumpster diving God, you have to first renew your appreciation for how great our God is. So I'm going to ask you, I know you just sat down, 
I'm going to ask if you would stand in honor and respect of God's word. And I'm going to ask you, if you would, please, to join me reading responsively these scriptures that lift up a description of our great creator God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Who, he who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God and he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. Everything was created through him and for him, and he holds all creation together. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. We honor you this day, our Creator Savior God, we bless your name. Amen. You may be seated. So before galaxies existed, and before there was matter or dark matter or energy, light, darkness, all of that, before there was time or space or universe or multiverses, there was only and always God. He had no beginning. He has no beginning and he has no end. He is eternal. God was, is, and always will be infinite in power and perfection, omniscient, invisible, immutable, in other words, unchangeable, immeasurable, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, all-wise, most holy, and always magnificent in his glory. Amen? Although it's a mystery to us, the Bible teaches us that God is a triunity, a trinity, three persons in one. And it's impossible for us to understand what life must be like within the triunity, within the Godhead. So much 
conflict, so much confusion, so much pride defines our lives, this life that we live in. We can't begin to conceive of the absolute unity and harmony and contentment and joy and love within the Godhead, within God himself. If we were to experience, to feel what it's like to be God for even a nanosecond, it would crush us. Imagine all joy, all beauty, all love, all power, all knowledge filling every fiber of your being. <laughs> Not just once, but in lightning bolt after lightning bolt of circuit-breaking glory. And now, imagine if you experienced that all day or all year or for 10 million years. You still would not know even a fraction of the glory of actually being God. There's something of the mystery and the majesty that John tries to communicate about the incarnation in the beginning of his gospel. He writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. I like the message paraphrase of verse 14. And this sublime Word became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. I like that, that captivating phrase. He moved into our neighborhood. Now, there's a problem with that, though. Because as I look out, all of you live in a nice neighborhood. Uh, can hear Mr. Rogers singing already, you know. We live in a nice neighborhood. We live in a nice condo uh, complex. Um, if you were to find out that Jesus bought the house across the street from you or next to you, I mean, you'd be thrilled that God was going to live next to you. But um, the idea that we live in this neighborhood, it, it's not a big stretch of our imagination. You know, it's not where we live isn't heaven, but, you know, it's nice. It's a nice place to live. Now, that brings me to the illustration that I was telling you about where I got the title of this message. Written by a man named David Slagle, and he writes, I love ribs. I remember hearing about this particular restaurant that had amazing ribs and a bunch of my friends and I drove 50 miles to get there. The place was packed and the food was great. It was all you can eat rib night and rib bones were piling up as fast as the line to get in. Now, eating ribs is messy business. Barbecue sauce gets on your face. 
your fingers and your clothes and dirty napkins pile up next to half-eaten bowls of baked beans and coleslaw. When our crew had eaten all we could eat, we paid our tab, and then we waddled out to our car. <laughs> On the way out to the car, I reached into my pocket for my car keys and came up with nothing but lint. <laughs> Starting to feel panicked, I looked through the window at the ignition. I was hoping that maybe I had locked my keys in the car because in the back of my mind, a much more disgusting possibility was beginning to take shape. When I saw that the ignition was empty, I knew exactly where my keys were. The keys to my car, the keys to my house, and the keys to my office. I knew those precious keys had slid right off my tray, followed by a half-eaten corn cob, several bones and napkins to the bottom of a trash can. I had thrown away my keys on all-you-can-eat rib night. I went back in. Our table had already been cleared. I checked with our waiter and found out that the trash had already been bagged up and thrown in the dumpster. Now, it was a long walk home, and my friends certainly weren't going to do my dirty work for me. So I dove into the dumpster. I fished through bones and beans and barbecue sauce and corn cobs and cake and coleslaw and a host of saliva-soaked napkins. A shiny layer of slime coated my arms before I finally found those precious keys. After I got home, I showered and changed clothes. And it was then that the comparison of my experience to the incarnation of God began to dawn on me. We are loved by a dumpster-diving God. I mean no disrespect by calling him that. On the contrary, I have a soaring adoration for the infinite God who left a pristine, sinless heaven to search through the filth and rubbish of this fallen world for something infinitely precious to him. Me. You. Isn't that a wonderful insight? Oh, you see, a dumpster can be a very disgusting place to live unless you're a rat or a roach or a maggot. To them, that dumpster is like heaven, you know? It's like an all-you-can-eat gourmet food buffet for them. And that's really our problem. We see the incarnation of Jesus from the perspective of a rat or a roach or a maggot. See, because we live here. We eat here. We raise our families. We go to school. We go to work. We go shopping. We go to church. 
in this fallen dumpster world. We think our neighborhood is just fine. Surely God becoming one of us isn't that big of a deal. Our problem is we don't see our sinfulness and depravity from God's perspective. The Apostle Paul tries to capture the magnitude of God's condescension in his letter to the Philippian believers. Paul writes, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. He who is higher than the highest, greater than the greatest, dove down, all the way down, to take up life in our dumpster, to become one of us, a rat, a roach, a maggot. He divested himself of his divine majesty and he climbed in with us and became one of us. He continues, and being found in appearance as a man, he went even lower. The one before whom the most radiant angels must shield their gaze, touched diseased and dying people, as well as depraved and the arrogant and the proud. The Holy One took the hands of unholy people and walked with them and loved them. He washed the callous, dirty feet of fishermen and forgave those who hated him. And then the sinless one, the creator, the sustainer of everything, dove even deeper into our dumpster. The source of life became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He dove all the way to the bottom of the dumpster so that by the scourging of his noble body and the shedding of his precious blood, we might be saved. He came to us in the depravity of our sin, picked us up, washed us clean, and then he shared, he imparted his divine nature and opened the door to that place, that realm, that kingdom from which he came. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? Or John writes, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins.
Aaron's going to come and, and we're going to sing. Not just the closing song. I asked him if he, let's sing a little bit more than what we usually do. And just worship this dumpster diving God, this great creator God who also came to save us. And let me close with this illustration. Dr. Richard Seltzer, he's a surgeon. And he wrote a book titled Mortal Lessons. And he tells of a moment when he caught a glimpse of what he described as transforming love. He writes, I stand by the bed where a young woman lies, her face post-operative, her mouth twisted and palsy, clownish. A tiny twig of the facial nerve, the one to the muscles of her mouth, has been severed, and she will be thus from now on. Oh, the surgeon, he's talking about himself, oh, the surgeon had followed with religious fervor the curve of her flesh. I promise you that. Nevertheless, to remove the tumor from her cheek, he had to cut that little nerve. Will my mouth always be like this? The woman asked. Yes, it will always be like that. The nerve has been cut. She nods, is silent, and then tears begin to well up in her eyes and she softly begins to cry. Her young husband is in the room and he smiles and he looks at his wife with a love so absolutely generous that it stuns the surgeon to silence. Her lover bends down to kiss her mouth. And I am so close that I can see how he twists his lips to accommodate her twisted lips. Once upon a time, the God who bent down and took hold of a handful of dust and shaped humanity and breathed life into it, stooped down again. And this time, it was himself that he reshaped in order to kiss a twisted, depraved, disfigured humanity with his grace and to breathe life eternal into his beloved. Amen. What a great God. Well, I'm going to ask you to stand. Let's just worship together for a while and then I'll close with the benediction. We close with this benediction. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. 
In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.